Previously on Smart Mobility, today we review news about EVs, recycled batteries, space junk, delivery drones, and green hydrogen. This week's show looks at more news about EVs, turmoil in the auto industry, the future of gas stations, air mobility, space exploration, and solar power. Plus, Nathan Keelan speaks with Hitachi Ostimo's Lee Aho about electric and autonomous vehicles. What's new and what's ahead? You've got something to say, and we can help you say it. Detroit Media Productions is here for your audio, photography, and video needs. DetroitMediaProductions.com Hi, this is Cindy Polakowski. Thousands of UAW members are striking at three Midwest plants as Detroit's car makers and the unions say they are not close to an agreement in their contract negotiations. The workers are demanding higher wages, job security, and clarity on how employers will deal with new technologies, especially sensitive as the industry shifts away from internal combustion engines. Car makers want to keep costs in check as they invest in new and expensive technologies, while the union says it wants to see a four-year 40% hike in wages, and the Biden administration weighs the economic and political fallout that will certainly come no matter how this gets resolved. Meanwhile, in the European Union, more than one-fifth of the new car registrations are for fully electric vehicles. This is the first time that the battery electric vehicle share has exceeded 20% and has almost doubled the 11.6% share from just one year ago. BEV registrations across the EU have more than doubled to 165,165 units, with all countries except for Malta recording double or triple-digit percentage increases. In Belgium, the increase was 224.5%. And in Germany, Europe's biggest car market, sales of fully electric vehicles increased by 171%. In total, almost a million new battery EVs have been registered since the start of this year. In addition to those 1 million new purchases, 24% of European sales were of hybrid electric vehicles. While technology can be disruptive and even unwelcome by some, it can also represent opportunities. Just look at gas stations. This week, Blink Charging announced that it will provide EV charging equipment to Royal Farms, a Baltimore-area fried chicken and gas station chain of 300 locations. The company, whose first gas station opened in 1959, will soon offer charging to EV drivers. The installations will be of fast chargers that in a few minutes can give enough power to drive 50 miles. Looking for better ways to manage your IT, phone systems, or remote workforce? Improve your organization using technology that works for you. PSNTechnology.com A study from Pennsylvania State University shows that, counter to what you may hear from the naysayers, AVs are remarkably safe. The report says that AVs have fewer crashes than conventional vehicles and that when they do crash, the incidents tend to be less severe. The numbers are these. AVs have been involved in 195 crashes over 4.62 million miles, and that rate means 2.3 times fewer crashes than conventional vehicles per mile driven. Plus, while 88% of AV crashes result only in property damage, 
30% of crashes of human-driven cars cause injuries. And in that, 0.7% of those incidents, death. So I wonder how those numbers will look when autonomous vehicles are buzzing around the air. We might know soon. A company in Fremont, California, is building autonomous air taxis. A subsidiary of Hyundai Motor Group, Supernal is an advanced air mobility company that hopes to offer commuters an option that gets them off of congested roads. Carrying commuters from hubs in cities or airports, the company envisions short trips that save people time. Their first-generation air taxi is expected to seat four people and be piloted by a human. Traveling at about 120 miles per hour, the electric air taxis will have a 25 to 30 mile range between charges. Here is a related development. If electric air taxis are viable, then how much better would it be if their batteries did not weigh so much? For electric aerial vehicles, long-range flights are problematic because the added power needed means more weight, which means even more power is needed, which means, well, you get it. Plus, the carbon footprint of large, heavy batteries is not good. So it's important that a company like Beyond Aero is working to bring market hydrogen-powered business jets. The company is currently testing an 85-kilowatt hydrogen-based propulsion system, the hope is to launch a vehicle called Beyond Arrow 1. This hydrogen-powered jet would have a range of up to 800 nautical miles, would travel at a speed of just over 350 miles per hour, and would seat eight passengers. Traditionally, scientists gather meteorites by walking for hours while combing the ground but they do it because the meteorites offer valuable information about our early solar system. Using drones and some machine learning, the task promises to get easier. While a team of six can search about 200,000 square meters per day, the process is slow and inexact. By using a learning algorithm trained to recognize meteorites, scientists can manually check tagged photos for verification, discarding mislabeled items such as scat, trash, or a sleeping kangaroo. A living person checks the site for genuine meteorites. Using drones, 300 days of effort by teams of humans can be accomplished in about a week and a half. The Smart Mobility Today crew was introduced to Lee Aho from Hitachi Astemo earlier this year at the Global Automobility Powering Electric Vehicles event in Southfield, Michigan. Nathan Keelan recently caught up with Lee. Here's their conversation. Hello, and welcome back to Smart Mobility Today. My name is Nathan Keelan, and I am joined today by Leah Ho. He is the head of ECU Solutions Business Unit at Hitachi, and thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Great. So let's jump right into it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what your role specifically is at Hitachi? Yeah, well, I'm the I'm the business unit head for the ECU Solutions uh, business unit, and uh, so what what we do is uh, we make all of the 
um, control units um, in the vehicle. So uh, aside from the uh, electrification part of it, which is the inverter and motor, we, we have all of the control units that tie everything together. So the, the control computers, um, sensors, that kind of thing. So how does Hitachi Estemo support the future of EVs? And specifically, how does it relate to EV charging? Well, um, we make a lot, we're very big into the electrification of the vehicle. So as I mentioned, we we design and manufacture the inverters, which control the, the drive motors um, for the vehicle. We, we also in, uh, design and manufacture the electric motors. And then, um, as I mentioned, um, there, there's some things that need to... Uh, um, you know, kind of control the vehicle aside from the inverters and motors. And so that's where the, you know, like in an autonomous vehicle, um, there's a, there's a, uh, a computer, a central computer that takes in all of the vision things, the radars, the cameras, that kind of thing, and decides what it should do with that, how the vehicle should move from that accelerate, stop, whatever. And that's how that ties in with the, um, the EV part of it, the, the inverters and the motors. And then the other part of it uh, for EV particularly is the batteries, the batteries and the battery controllers. Um, we make uh, those controllers. That's also uh, a part of the, uh, the ECU uh, solutions group. I know that a lot of the potential and some of the even current applications of um, EVs and AVs, autonomous vehicles, like this are in more commercial settings um, where obviously it's always important for the sensors to be able to avoid stuff. But when you're dealing with very heavy equipment or with shipping very expensive things, uh, there's obviously can be a higher uh, importance put on it. So I was wondering what role uh, does Hitachi Estemo have in the autonomous and electric vehicles that operate in those commercial settings, maybe like shipyards and warehouses? Yeah, we don't get too much involved with that. Uh, we're, we're more to the automotive part of it. Um, so there is a division of Hitachi that does heavy equipment, uh, machinery okay. like that. And so they they take some of the similar technologies, the vision systems and things like that, and they apply them to those uh, to those uh, those you know construction equipment devices. Okay. But I see that you're a graduate of U of M Dearborn. Um, I'm from Dearborn myself, and I think my brother went to U of M Dearborn, and actually my girlfriend works at U of M Dearborn, so I can go without mentioning that. Um, but um, alongside that, Dearborn um, and Detroit, obviously a lot of the area is very heavily involved in the auto industry, and because of that, heavily involved in EVs and AVs. So I was wondering, what do you see as Michigan's role in the future of mobility? Well, I think um, this this is the I think this is that kind of a hotbed of the development. I, I know that initially there's a lot of uh, excitement out of the California area. You know, Apple and Google and all that. You know, we're, we're making things, but really, this is where this is where the heart of the automotive industry is. This is where most of the talent is. This is where most of the engineers are and the the technical development. So, so yeah, um, Detroit, uh, you know, has a very big role to play. 
uh, in the development uh, of the autonomous vehicle, all of the all of the technologies, the sensing, the the control of the vehicle, the actual um, you know tying everything together and making it actually operate, you know, and and not having to oh gosh I got I got to reboot, you know, and, and you know it has to work, right? It has to work. People's lives are at stake, so right. it's really important that you know that that uh, all of the safety that you know that that Detroit has learned over you know uh, many many years uh, in in you know in the automotive sector all of that has to be brought into play um, you know in the development of these types of vehicles and so that's where that's why I say you know Detroit's really at the heart of this yeah and Detroit has been for so long mm -hmm. like from the very start of of the large scale automotive industry. Um, and especially now, it seems like it's a, a time of such accelerated change. You know, I think 10 years ago, obviously EVs and AVs were being developed, but it wasn't as big. It wasn't as pressing, I think, as widely uh, talked about and done as it is today. So I was wondering, how have you seen that change over the past 10 years? And kind of in the same vein, though I know it's hard to predict with things changing so quickly, uh, what do you see happening in the next 10 years? Yeah, so it's been, uh, as you said, it's been quite an evolution. I think, uh, you know, we came 10 years ago, you know, I think we were advancing through the the ICE uh, technologies, so internal combustion engine. So, so you know, how Hitachi played in that, uh, you know, we make the, the engine control computers, the transmission control computers, things like that. And so um, there's a there was a lot of technology involved in that, trying to get the most efficiency, you know, the the, the, run, the engine running it at its most efficient points. Um, you know, taking into uh, all of the, you know the combustion, controlling the combustion, checking the the emissions from the from the engine, that kind of thing. Trying to trying to make it work the best it possibly could, and then moving into the transmission, making sure that the transmission was working optimally. Um, so that you had smooth power to the vehicles and you didn't get, you know, kind of jarring shifts and things like that. But all that, all that needed to work together to make a very smooth operating vehicle. And so, um, but but the the big part of that is the semiconductors, right? The, the microprocessors mm. and 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 the devices needed to sense those kinds of things in 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 the uh, in the vehicle environment. And so there, there's been a huge development and evolution in those kinds of in those kinds of devices. The the, the processors have gotten so so uh, smart. Or, or so fast, you know, and so and you need that when you get as you move from the ICE world into the autonomous vehicle world, um, you know, uh, the, the the process has have to be so fast and make so many operations per second. You know, the things that you know take for example, you're you're going to get in your car, you're going to start the car, you're going to back out of your driveway, you're going to go down to the corner store. Well, we take that pretty much for granted, right? Because we we have all of these experiences that we've that we've built up over our years of driving, and it just it, it's very easy for us. Now imagine a computer having to do that, right? How the computer doesn't have these experiences. It has to take mm -hmm. in all of this information, uh, you know, the sensing information, and it has to be able to control and, you know, stop, accelerate the vehicle, turn the vehicle, all of that. And, you know, so, so the computers have to be so advanced and then we have to apply a lot of, you know, software technologies and algorithms in order for that thing to get to be like our brains and do those kinds of same things that we take for granted.
So, so yeah, that's been, it's been quite an evolution from, from ICE into the autonomous world. And it's just from there, it's just going to get, uh, even more, uh, advanced, you know? So, so we're, we're, you know, we're taking things that, that, um, that are becoming, um, you know, more advanced, kind of large still. These computers are very large. You know, there are a lot of space mm. that's needed for them, a lot of power is needed for them. And so over the next 10 years, what we'll see is we'll see, you know, more advances in the silicon, but we'll see it shrinking, right? We'll see all of that shrinking and hopefully less power. And, uh, you know, um, the cost also is is going to be coming down. So so the the autonomous vehicles now, they look kind of expensive. I don't, I don't know that we've got a lot of adoption for that because they are so expensive. But, you know, over the next 10 years, you're going to see all of that, you know, advances in the technology, shrinking of the size, and then shrinking of the cost. So it, it becomes more accessible to, to everybody. Lighter, smaller, less expensive, more reliable. Can't can't really find a fault in any of that. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, you're making me think too, uh, when you're talking about kind of just the amount of decisions a driver has to make at any given moment or doing something like a simple turn. Because I, I also think there's, there are those moments, I think as you get used to all those decisions and it becomes such a learned behavior where people, you know, might be driving down the highway and suddenly realize, huh, I haven't really thought about, you know, what I'm doing for the past 10 minutes. It's all become so automatic, which right. in a way you can see it as impressive, but it's all, you know, it's not ideal to realize, oh, I, maybe I haven't been paying as much attention as I, as I think I should. So that's, you know, the computers and they're not going to get distracted or forget what they're doing or start daydreaming about something else. So I think that's another perk that you made me think of. Yeah, no, they're, the computers are always on, right? They're always mm -hmm. they're always doing something. the 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 point is that you know what what we have as humans to our advantage is we have you know like I said we have our experiences, our memories, but we also have muscle reflexes and muscle memory. So so when we experience something on the road, you know whether we have to turn or brake or something like that, it's almost instantaneous for us, right? We right. do it before and we just do it. Well, you know that now a computer has to in order to be able to do that, there has to be some special software in there, you know, if you've heard of the, 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 the term deep neural networks. And so this is mm. how, this is how uh, we train these, these computers with these deep neural networks to get these same experiences that we have driving. Um, so we have things that, that allow the computers to recognize, you know, things in front of us, whether it's a car or a bicycle or a person or a cat, you know, um, all of those neural networks are, are, are being made to, to train these systems in order to be able to recognize these things. And then, and then um, what is, what does the computer do with that information after that? You got to recognize it, then you got to control the vehicle. And so all of these things have to be programmed in. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is pretty fascinating. So see, there's a, there's a lot of development, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the OEMs and a lot of the tier one suppliers to the OEMs They're they're putting a lot of money in the development of, of the autonomous vehicles, uh, you know, just for this reason, there's a, there's a, there's a lot that has to go into it. Yeah. Cool. I think we're all pretty excited to see, you know, where it's going to be in the next 10 years. Yeah, I can't say I'm dreading the idea of riding in my car, you know, reading a book or watching a movie <laughs> instead of driving doesn't doesn't sound like the worst prospect. No, I mean, think about it. There, there are some advantages, you know, for the for the people that that have grown up uh, love of cars, driving cars, you know, um, just that 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 uh, feeling of freedom, 
driving mm. the car and, you know, driving sure. down nice, nice windy road and, you know, in the country, something like that. It's very pleasurable. Um, but, um, you know, there, the, there's, there's several advantages to autonomous cars. For example, you know, if you want, you know, um, you want to go to a, a nightclub, you want to go to a party, you want to go to a sporting event or something like that. And you don't want to have to worry about driving home from those kinds of things. Well, you know, you, you have your autonomous vehicle take you to the event. And then when you're done, you get back in the autonomous vehicle and take you home. It's, you know, it's kind of like a taxi. Um, or, you know, think about, you know, as, as uh, your parents and grandparents, as they're aging and they're becoming less, less able to, or, or less confident in their skills on the road. Well, here's a perfect, you know, application of that as well. They get in there, they want to go to the grocery store, they want to go somewhere else, they get in their autonomous vehicle, they tell them to take them wherever they want to go, they go do what they want, and they come back. It's all, it's all very, um, you know, it's all very safe. And so, um, there's an extension of a level of independence for them to be able to do that. Um, you know, and then the, you know, the kids today also, I think, uh, I, I read a, I kind of read a, um, a surprising statistic that the average age of someone getting their driver's license today is 26 years old. Um, wow. which is, yeah, it's, it's really kind of amazing. Right. And so I know when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. So once I got to 16, man, I had to have it so mm -hmm. I could get some independence and, and do what I wanted, see my friends and those kinds of things. But, but now there's, there's less of a, there's less of a, a desire to do that. And so, you know, if you're, if you're between, you know, you know, if you're b below 26, you don't have your driver's license yet. How are you going to get from a to B, you know, you can't always have your parents take you, you know, so there is, there is Uber, there is all that other stuff, but what if you had an autonomous vehicle to, to take you around to these different places, you know, that, that would be nice too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know, uh, personally, I was a little late, uh, getting my license. I was 18 and you can only get your friends to drive across town to pick you up and then have to drive all the way back across town so many times. So right. I, I think right. there's some exciting stuff on the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I would like to thank uh, Leah Ho for joining us. He is the head of ECU Solutions Business Unit at Hitachi. And it was a great conversation. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, Lee. We will be right back. We will be right back. With the largest gig network in the country, Comcast Business has the technology solutions to future-proof your network. The Toyota Research Institute is using generative AI to teach robots how to make breakfast. The interesting thing is that the robots did not require hours and hours of coding to be taught the required skills. The Toyota team was able to provide the robots with a sense of touch and then used AI to show them how to prepare a meal. And while showing sounds like a visual thing, the scientists report that it was the enhanced sense of touch that enabled the learning. In other words, the robots could learn more by feeling than by seeing. Most micro-robots are limited in what they can carry due to their size and are powered by electricity, which means they may be tethered. 
At Cornell, researchers have combined soft microactuators with high-energy density chemical fuel to create a four-legged robot that is powered by combustion and is stronger than electricity-powered robots of the same size. Being powered by combustion makes them 50 times as powerful as electric power microbots, allowing them to navigate difficult terrain, obstacles, and move very, very quickly. The world's northernmost solar farm is now operating just south of the North Pole. The installation is in Norway, and it comprises a solar farm and battery storage facility in the Svalberg Archipelago at Isfjord Radio on the island of Spitsbergen, the largest and only permanently populated island in the archipelago. Although it is cold, the area hosts continuous sunshine in the summer months. Built in 1933, the Isfjord radio station was once the only means of communication between the archipelago and the Norwegian mainland. The new facility will reduce emissions by 70%. In the recent past, close to 200,000 liters of diesel fuel were used at this fjord radio annually. Although winter will still require the use of diesel or coal, the savings will be significant. Read these stories and more at globalautomobility.com and subscribe to Smart Mobility today on your favorite podcast platform. Sign up to receive our weekly newsletter and follow us on social media at Smart Mobility Today. Produced by Detroit Media Productions, this is Smart Mobility Today.